Well, good morning, Thrive Church. How we doing? Man, it's great to have you guys with us today. So we are finishing a series in the book of Daniel, if you're new with us today. And what we've been doing over the last five weeks, and you can go back and listen to the podcast or online, we've been looking at the person of Daniel living in Babylon. And we called this series Being Courageous in a Cancel Culture. Because if you're going to live out your faith, you're also going to face opposition when you do that. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Daniel chapter 6 this morning. Daniel chapter 6. All right, so what if I told you that there were Christians who unknowingly practiced witchcraft? Does that get your attention? I want to talk about that today because I think some of us wouldn't even know we're doing it, but we practice witchcraft. Mysticism. Believing that we, through our words and through what we say and what we we do, that we have control over our future. And I'm going to tell you why why I believe that because I experienced that. When I was getting my master's degree, I went through a class called the Emotionally Healthy Leader. Phenomenal class. It went great. Uh, 90% was awesome. 10% was weird. Weird. Um, I made a B- minus in this lady's class. And I'll tell you why. She believed that through our words, we could control our future. No, it's, it's a common. There's a lot of Christians who believe this. They'll say, our oh, power in your words, and don't speak that, don't speak that. Like, like, like we're actually going to say something by accident. God's like, oh, you said it. Bam. That's right. It's like my back hurts. Oh, don't, don't speak that over your life. You just, right? But here's what she did. She had us do this. I wouldn't do it. Brian Seymour will tell you. She said, you must rub your ears every morning and say that you'll be a millionaire. You'll be a millionaire. And you must say that for two minutes straight. And she had us in class doing that. Everybody's just like, I'm a millionaire. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm thinking, have y'all lost y'all's mind? And they're Christians. This, this is a teaching within Christianity that you could actually have control over your future. And, and I, I want to ask the question, why would a well-meaning Christian who knew the Scriptures fall into something like that? What is it inside of us that would drive us? What are the fears? What are our desires that would drive us to believe that? Because I believe it can really affect our faith if we don't understand that there's very little that we have in area of control. And Daniel shows us that, and we're looking at the book of Daniel, and what we're looking at today is a time when Daniel had to just let go of the outcomes. He had no control over the situation. Now, how Daniel ended up in Babylon is really important. If you've not been tracking with us, um, you know, the kingdom of Israel was split into two kingdoms, the northern kingdom of Israel, southern kingdom of Judah. And that's where Daniel and his family were at, living there. And finally, after years of pagan idolatry, the Jews just left the covenant of God. They would, I mean, setting up idols in the temple. After years of that, and prophets telling them, get ready, get ready, get ready, Babylon's coming. You're going into exile. You're going to be slaves. And they would not listen to any of the prophets. Finally, King Jehoiakim II in 597 B.C. is taken out, and Babylon comes in, sieges the city. He tries to escape. He gets killed. Then what happens next is, they take all of the Israelites of the southern kingdom of Judah back to Babylon to be slaves, to run their economic system. Uh, and what King Nebuchadnezzar did was this. He said, I know these, these Hebrew boys are different than any other in the, in the whole world. There's something special about them. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to find the best of the best, and we're going to have them serve in the royal service. And so Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego end up in this royal service of training. And, and what we've been seeing is that at every time they wanted him to disobey the Torah, eat this food, sacrifice to idols because the king has given it to you. He said no. 
Anytime they were asked to mix in other religions to their Jewish faith, they said, we're not going to do it. Last week we said, they said, we're going to throw you in the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, if you don't bow down and worship. They said, I can't do it. I serve God, serve Jehovah only. And we saw God deliver them. Now last week what was interesting is we didn't see Daniel anywhere in the story. It was just Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Every other time it's been Daniel and his friends. And so what had happened is after Daniel and his friends said no to the, 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 the worship of idols and eating the food uh, sacrifice of that, it says that God gave them special abilities. One was to interpret dreams. And what did Daniel do? He interpreted the dream of King Nebuchadnezzar. Nobody in the kingdom could do it. And Nebuchadnezzar brought him up to second in charge, past all of the other Babylon guys who had been in the government for years. He fast-tracked Daniel to second in charge. Then Daniel said, i got three friends, too, I need to do a favor for. He said, let's do that. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego also went past all the Babylonians. Babylonians hated the Jews. So what happened last week, we saw that some of the people who were politically motivated came against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and said, hey, these boys aren't going to, you know, bow down to the statue and worship. Now, this week, we don't see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We see Daniel. Why wasn't Daniel in the story last week? Some scholars believe that King Nebuchadnezzar had such an affection for Daniel because of what he had done, and he knew that Daniel knew this, this one true living God. He didn't believe in that one true living God, but he knew Daniel knew him, and he knew that that God was working on Daniel's behalf, right? So now, this week, we catch up where it's now Daniel. You don't see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And look at Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, what happens here. It says this, but when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, now that's the law meant that you have got to worship and bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar. That violates the first of the uh, Ten Commandments of the Torah that the Jews obeyed. He went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with his windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. Then the officials... um, went together to Daniel's house and found him praying, asking for God's help. The officials, that's the Babylonian guys who were going around in the days of the Nazis, um, you know, checking houses. They knew that Daniel would be doing that. They targeted him and they went after him. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that, uh, that for the next 30 days any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied. That decision stands. It's an official law of the Medes and Persians and cannot be revoked. Then they told the king. that man. So they didn't tell him it was Daniel at first. They brought his own law up to him. He's like, that's right, I'm the king. No one's going to disobey my law. And they said, great, because, uh, yeah. Then they told the king, that man, Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring your law, and he still prays to his God three times a day, hearing this. Watch this now. The king was deeply troubled. He tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. That is absolutely phenomenal. That a king who thought he was God wanted to protect and help Daniel, who was a a Jew, who had a different faith to him. That's called influence. Verse 15 says, In the evening the men went together uh, to the king and said, Your majesty, you know that according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, that uh, no law that the king signs can be changed. Because they knew he was trying to figure a way. Verse 16 says, So at last the king gave orders to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, said to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve faithfully, rescue you. And a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seals of his nobles. 
<coughs> excuse me, so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. Is that not amazing? This, I mean, this guy fasting for Daniel. That's not a practice that they, they usually would implement. He refused his usual entertainment and could not sleep at all that night. Then very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God, whom you served faithfully, able to rescue from the lions? And Daniel answered, long live the king. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed in order that Daniel be lifted from the den, and not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted his God. Now, I could go and just, just preach to you that God's going to always deliver you from the mouth of, of the den of lions. A lot of things I could preach from this here. We do see that God is very faithful when we're in no-win situations. But one of the things that scholars pointed out, too, that there was a miracle we see happen here. Some scholars even wonder if the king overfed the lions that night so they wouldn't be hungry. We're not sure exactly, but Daniel knew that God was involved in the situation. He said that the angel shut the mouths of the, of the lions. But what I want to talk to you about is not that God's always going to shut the mouths of lions. This is something that is a theme in the book of Daniel is suffering and sovereignty. I want to speak to you and I today about what do you do when you're in a no-win situation? When you feel like you're praying and you're not sure how you're going to get out of this situation, what do you do? And it's this here, it's called trusting in God. But when you trust in Christ, when you truly trust, it's this here, true trust in Christ is letting go of the outcomes. It's letting go of the outcomes. Daniel trusted God no matter what. Last week, his Hebrew uh, friends, what did they do? But even if we're not delivered, we'll still serve God. And I think that's the thing in today's culture, we don't know what true trust in Christ really is. We don't really embrace that. See, uh, most Christians are hedonist. What's a hedonist? A hedonist is someone who wants pleasure for the sake of pleasure. And they're Christian hedonists. And that comes out in our prayers all the time because most of our prayers are, God, comfort me, help me, keep me from harm, uh, make my life easy, make everything easy. Can, can we be honest? Isn't that what most of our prayer life's about? Let me eat what I want to eat and heal me. Let me destroy my body and God just be there for me. God, please let me never face any harm in life. And if you start surveying your prayers, are you praying for community revival, for God to open the eyes of those who don't know Jesus to the gospel? Are you praying for that mainly, or are you praying for, you know, your toe that's hurting? Because most of us, our prayers are, God, alleviate our pain. Because really, at the heart of it, we should never experience anything bad if we serve God. See, I could talk to you about God shutting the mouth of the lion, but I would be only, you know, monolithic in my approach to faith. Because what we see in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 37 is something different. I want you to look at this. Hebrews eleven thirty-seven says, some died by stoning. Now, now realize Hebrews 11 is the hall of faith chapter. All the heroes of the faith and what God did for them. But then the writer of Hebrews inserts this really odd scripture in there. And I want to break this down for you because it shows you the paradox of faith. Because if we only look at Daniel 6 as a sign of how God works, we'll miss the full workings of God in our life. Hebrews eleven thirty seven 37 says, some died by stoning, some were, saw, were sawn in half, others were killed with a sword, and some went about wearing 
skins of sheep and goats and destitute and oppressed and mistreated. Now, you have to understand, when, when this was written by the writer of Hebrews, who we're not sure who the writer exactly was, there's a lot of you know, speculation with that, Nero's Rome had not come into effect yet, meaning that the persecution, the extreme persecution of Christians had not really hit yet. So the writer's not talking about Christians here. Some may think it was the intertestamental uh, people, some of the people that lived there. But what's most likely is, when you look at this, he's speaking about the Old Testament prophets. Because tradition and history, a Jewish tradition and history, tells us that the prophet Isaiah was sawn in half. And so when you look at faith, when you look at Scripture, you have to look at the whole of Scripture. You can't look at one verse and say, see, that's what God will do for you. Because Isaiah was sawn in half. Sometimes God's going to deliver you from the mouth of the lines, and sometimes you're going to get sawn in half. And true trust in Christ is letting go of those outcomes. Because we'll never see transformation if we don't. See, there's a paradox to faith, and the paradox is this. It's a confident uncertainty. That's the paradox. A confident uncertainty. If somebody tells you they're full of faith and they're always confident about everything, they don't understand the paradox of faith. And even me as a pastor... I have a confident uncertainty about things. Why a confident uncertainty? Doesn't that, doesn't that make God mad that you're uncertain, that maybe you have some doubts or you don't understand? Not at all. Think about this. The resurrected Jesus is in there teaching the disciples. Matthew 28, 17. He's teaching the disciples. And Matthew records that some worshiped and some doubted. The resurrected Jesus. And I think we have to give you know, a space in our life to have a confident uncertainty, to understand that we'll be in situations like that. And yes, maybe God will do a miracle and deliver you from the mouth of the, uh, you know, of, of the den of lions, or maybe you're sown in half. But see, true trust in Christ is letting go of those outcomes. You know, I found myself, I've, I've experienced one of the greatest personal transformations of my life, and this is why, this is why, because I had to let go of outcomes. I found myself praying for a list of outcomes that I wanted God to do, declaring it, praying it. You know, we're going to declare, you know. We're going to tell God, you know, that's faith. We're going to tell God what he needs to do. And, th and that, that's not faith. That's called, I, I believe, presumption. And I'll never forget when the Lord shifted me and said, throw that list away. It's garbage. You want me to do something for you. I want to do something in you. And... So many times when we go through suffering, we want God just to do the thing for us and get us out of it. When God wants to do something inside of us. And if we don't understand the paradox of faith, what we're going to do is dumb prayer down to a list of things that God must do for us and, and he must answer for us. Now, does God want to do things for you? Yes. Did your Heavenly Father love you? Yes. But more than giving stuff to you, he wants to transform your heart. And see, what happens is this, and th this is why this is suffering is such a, 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 you know, a theme in the, in the Bible, also the book of Daniel. And here's what I've seen as a, as a pastor. Most believers separate from church of God when suffering because they don't really trust his sovereignty. They do. I've seen people do that. Walk away from their faith because they didn't get what they wanted. Why did God let my mama die of cancer? Why did, God why did God do this? And we have this belief that why do bad things happen to good people? And people ask you that. Well, if God is good, if you believe in this all-powerful, loving God, why does he let bad things happen to good people? See, that in itself is the dumbest question I've ever heard in my life, if you're a believer. Because you know 
that we're not good people. The scripture doesn't say we're good people with good hearts. Jeremiah writes in Jeremiah 79 that our hearts are desperately wicked. Paul tells us that, you know, while we were yet still sinners, that no one seeks God. I mean, you go over and over. The question must, must be asked to us, why do good things happen to bad people? Why would God ever bless me with anything? Because I don't deserve it. I'm a sinner at heart, man. The things I want to do, I don't do. The things that, that you know, and, and, and the problem is we think anytime something bad, oh, why would God let something bad happen to me? Well, excuse me. We're all little divas wanting God just to come, you know, serve everything up to a silver platter. And that damages our faith, and many people will walk away from their faith when they're faced with suffering. Um, I told you last week, if you were here, that when I, when I played in the, in the band, there's a, 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 um, in my punk band, there's a, a guy that had, you know, on his straps that eternal life would suck. His name was Earl. And I first met Earl um, recording our first little EP. It was up in the mountains of North Carolina in a shack up there, punk rock shack. And I heard Earl's story, and Earl hated us and hated our faith. He berated me for just on and on, going all these things about, again, what a good thing, or what a bad things happen to good people. I just, on a, he just hated Jesus. And then it came out, why? He used to go to church. He used to follow Jesus. But his mom died of cancer. And he said he could never trust a God that would allow that to happen. Suffering is what turned somebody who followed Jesus to somebody who went and attacked Christians. I've seen it over and over again. I don't understand why this happens. True trust in Christ is you let go of outcomes. And you trust in God's faithfulness and his character no matter what the outcome is. See, the Apostle Paul faced this in, in, in um, 2, Corinthians 4, 10, uh, excuse me, 2 Timothy 4.10, which is believed to be his last letter. Paul is in imprisonment in Rome, and he writes this. I want, you, I want you to look what he writes to Timothy, his young protege, about what has happened to him. He said this. He said, Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Demas has deserted me. Why did he desert Paul? Because the suffering got too much for him. Paul was now in prison. You would now be in prison and lose your life for following Jesus, especially being with Paul. And he said he has deserted me because he loved the things of this life. And that's what happens to us, guys, so many times. We face suffering. We don't, really, we don't really understand the sovereignty of God, that he's the sovereign king. You're not in control. And you could ask God for things, but at the end of the day, we can ask for those things, but we have to understand what's so important. And this is what Daniel knew. And here it is. I want you to write this down. It's called seeking God. And seeking God in suffering affirms you trust his sovereignty. Say it one more time. Seeking God in suffering affirms you trust his sovereignty. How do you really know you trust the sovereignty of God? The sovereign king who Daniel says raises kings up and brings kings down. How do you trust this God who is worded another way that he controls the course of world events? How do you trust this God, he says in Romans, that I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy and compassion on whom I want to show compassion? How do you do that, especially when things aren't going your way, when you're in a no-win situation? It's by seeking the Lord. By going after his heart. And you'll find out how deep your faith is. I said this before in this series. Not when you're on the mountaintop and things are good, but when everything's falling apart around you. Does it drive you deeper to the heart of God to open the scriptures and pray and fast and go out? Or does it push you away? Do you separate yourself from God in church? Whatever you go through things. 
Because if you, you can say all day long, I trust God, but the key is, I want to see what you're doing when things don't go your way. I want to see what happens when you don't understand the will of God. I want to see you at your worst, and, you'll, and I'll know, do you really seek God? And so nothing says to God we trust him as much as we, as we submit to him by seeking him. When you're going through a tough time, if you want to really, really say, God, I trust you, submit to him. God, I'll serve you in glad obedience no matter the outcome, no matter what happens, because I trust you. And see, King David did this, and I shared this last month in Psalm 63. King David was in a no-win situation. He had a problem he couldn't fix and an enemy he couldn't fight. Who was it? His son Absalom. He loved his son, and Absalom took the kingdom over from him, betrayed him, went behind his back. And when you look at the Psalms, I want you to look at the prayer life that David had. Because this is what he did. He was suffering. He knew God's sovereignty. And look at what David chose to say to God and to write down for us in Psalm 63. I want you just to think about this. You can write this in your notes. But his prayers would be much different than mine. My prayer would be, God, reveal the truth and get rid of Absalom. God, vindicate me. Right? I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Maybe it's not y'all. <laughs> maybe y'all don't pray like that. But I'm like, God, you know, help me win in this situation. And we see that David trusted God because he sought the Lord. Not for God to change everything around him, but look at this. He says, oh God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul assert a thirst for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and have gazed upon your power and glory. Your unfailing love is better than life itself. Is he seeing the tangible results of God's unfailing love right now? No. He's running from his son who's trying to kill him. Yet he's talking about the unfailing love of God. He says this, I'll, how I will praise you, I will praise you as long as I live, lifting up my hands to you in prayer. You satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. That is exactly what he was going through, suffering and he trusted God in his sovereignty. He said, God, I'm just going to worship you. I need you more than I need things around me to be fixed. And I think so many times we get this, this you know, den of lions situation, and our first thing is, God, get me out. When God says, let me into your heart. God, fix the situation. God says, no, I, I want to fix your heart. Because sometimes we're praying for superficial things when God wants to do a deeper work in our soul. There's something under the surface that he's doing, and it's trusting his sovereignty in that, that he is our sovereign king, and he will choose, and he will make a choice, and a true follower of Jesus Christ will say, I can trust what choice you decide to make. I don't understand everything. I may not get what I want, but I want you to come into my heart and transform me. So how do you seek God and submit to him when you're going through suffering? How do you submit to his sovereignty? Um, there's two things I have always put into practice, and I say this over and over again, and I want you to write this down, um, and hopefully you'll start rem remembering these things. But the first one is this, put the responsibility of obedience on your shoulders. That's what Daniel did. Daniel was faithful to God. Daniel said no to eating the food sacrificed to idols. Daniel said no to worshiping false gods. Daniel put the, the, uh, the, the responsibility of obedience on his shoulders. And that's what you and I have to do. Where is God asking you to be obedient? 
Where is it that your life is not aligned with the Lord? So when you're suffering or you need something from God and you got to come through and meet you, be obedient. God can't be obedient for you. You know that, right? Sometimes we're even praying, God, you know, God, God you know, do this for me or do that for me. God can't be obedient. Just like I said before, whenever, whenever he created the garden, he didn't tend it for Adam and Eve, did he? He said, that's your responsibility. That's what you have to do. Now, here's the second part of this, which is super important. Not, not only do you put the obedience on your shoulders, uh, responsibility, but also you let results rest on God's shoulders. Elmer Town said it this way when I was at Liberty University. Uh, Dr. Town said, when you pray, you pray like all of heaven depends on it. And when you get up, you live like it all depends on you. Responsibility of obedience. And then you let go of the outcomes. Let, let the results rest on God's shoulders. And that's true trust in Christ. Not worrying yourself to death. Not praying out of worrying. Not saying Jesus' name over and over. You know, like rabbit's foot. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Right? I just say, if I just pray hard enough, I just I, I can get it down. It's resting and saying, God, I trust you in this situation. I trust you no matter the outcome that happens. And that's the theme in Daniel that, that, that we see. And I know we've hit suffering a lot in the book of Daniel, but I want to have you, I never want to see you walk away from your faith because you went through suffering and didn't expect it. Jesus told his disciples, he says, guess what? In this world, you will experience troubles. But I will be with you in all of those troubles. So I want to encourage you today, when, when you go out of here, maybe you're even struggling with that today. Maybe, maybe you experienced something in your life that you prayed for something and the opposite happened. And then you're like, I don't fucking really trust God because I trusted that one time and then he didn't come through for me. That's, that's the wrong mentality. And if you live with that mentality, you'll never have a deep, intimate relationship with God because you don't trust what you think you want. You trust God with the outcomes, saying, God, here's the outcome that, that I see in my little you know, finite mind, but Scripture says that your ways are higher than my ways and your thoughts are higher than my thoughts, so here's what I do. I'm going to give that to you. You know way better than, than, than I do, Father, and you take that. So let's pray this morning. Father, we come to you. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to trust you, to seek you when we're suffering. To trust your sovereignty, Lord, for your sovereign king. Help us, Lord God, to stop just asking for you to fix situations. And Lord, may you come into our heart. May we have the same posture David had, that we hunger for you, we thirst for you, we go after you, Lord, when we're suffering. I pray that. And God, we thank you that you do allow good things to happen to bad people. Thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for not answering prayers that we prayed. <laughs> Thank you for not doing things that, that, that we wanted done, Lord, as we look back. You truly are a good, sovereign king, and you are a good heavenly father. Now, may we trust you in every bit of suffering that we face, Father. And as we're praying today, church, in this mode of prayer, maybe you walked away from your faith because you suffered and went through something tough. Maybe you backed off in your relationship with God and you stopped coming to church or you stopped serving God and God's calling you today to come back to Him. It finally makes sense for you. Or maybe you've never, ever been all in for Jesus, surrendered to Him, reading His Word, just submitting to Him as, as your Lord. Maybe you've never done that. I don't know which camp you're in today, but some of you know the Lord's calling you to Himself. You can feel it in your heart right now. You can feel it in your spirit. You know today is your day for salvation. 
So right where you're at, I want you to pray this prayer after me. Make this confession of faith, Paul says in Romans. And it's saying this, you say, God, I admit I'm a sinner. I admit my good works can't save me. I admit I need Jesus. So today, I give my life to Jesus. I believe he died on the cross. And I believe he rose again on the third day. Today, I confess Christ as my Lord. I repent of my old life. I receive brand new life. Thank you for saving me today. Now help me to trust you when I'm suffering. And it's in Jesus' good name I pray. Amen.